Well, happy Mother's Day, Mom. Thanks, thanks. Thanks so much for being here, and happy Mother's Day to all you moms, whether you are a mom, or you got a mom, or you know a mom, or you have heard of the concept of moms. You're in the right place. We're glad you're here today. Um, and Mom, you know uh, that I wanted to sit down with you, well, I guess for a couple reasons. One, hey, it's Mother's Day, so that's fun. Uh, sit down and talk to your mom on Mother's Day. That's a good idea. Uh, but also because we're in this series um, called One Month to Live. And it's about just kind of this question, how would you live differently if suddenly you found out you had one month to live? If you had some urgency to your life and we're kind of recognizing that maybe the things we would change if we had one month to live are, are things we should change anyway. And I guess, I mean, what you and I both know is you've sort of had to face that reality recently. You've well, been it's, been an, it's been an overwhelming year, that yeah. is for sure. Yeah. Um, I guess about a year ago, I started having really severe back pain. It became excruciating, and then about 10 months ago, uh, we found out I had cancer that was eating my bones, especially yeah. my spine. They sent me straight from the uh, MRI to the hospital and said, get ready for emergency surgery which was successful. Praise God. And then immediately begin triple whammy chemotherapy while you're still in a back brace. Um, it was overwhelming. Yeah, those were a hard couple of days that turned into a hard couple of weeks that turned into a hard uh, couple of months. Um, and yeah, we had some crazy days uh, there together. Um, but they're probably are also some ways um, that there's some there's something spiritually productive about those kinds of moments. Because I remember um, it was you and me, and then it was you and dad, and then it was you and my brother, where we got to sit in some conversations where no doctor ever said one month to live, but they were throwing out timelines, and they often involved months, and the numbers were pretty small. And so I wonder, you know, as you look back on that season and you're sort of still in it, what are some of the things that you just kind of immediately felt like you learned out of that? Well, I think the hardest lesson and maybe one of the most important was that I needed to accept care from other people. I've always liked to take care of myself and take care of others. And what I learned was I, I couldn't. I had to accept help and it really helped me remember that really nobody is completely self-sufficient. We all need to accept care from others and and I really need to say thank you to you and Betsy. Um, you completely rearranged your house and completely rearranged your lives so that you could take care of us and you knew what we needed even when we didn't so. Well that was a that was a great that was a great couple of weeks. You know, we had a party, so that was good. That was good. What else? What are some of the big stuff you learned in that early season? Well, I learned just how wonderful people are. People were so good to me, so kind. I got cards, meals, letters, more presents than I think I've ever gotten. People I knew, but also people I don't even know uh, sent me messages of love. And 
Speaking of love, I really learned to appreciate medical personnel, and I feel like I need to say a big thank you to doctors, nurses, therapists, technicians, cooks, cleaning staff. There's so many people who give you loving, personal, and professional care. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's great stuff. Now, um, we're doing this series, and one of the things that I've been noticing is kind of when I'm trying to say, okay, what would I do if I had one month to live? I've been like, okay, there's some stuff I would change. So I'm curious, did you notice anything, anything you changed about how you live, how you think, what you did? Uh, obviously, there were some changes forced on you because all the medical stuff, but what were anything you changed on purpose because you had this kind of confrontation with mortality and the shortness of your days? I think I've uh, become more of a person of prayer. I, I really felt like prayers upheld me during the critical times. I felt upheld by God's love and I know people were praying for me. And so I've tried to become more of a person of prayer. And uh, even when I'm like at night, if I can't sleep, I try to think this is a gift from God to give me an opportunity to pray. And well, I joined the first Christian church prayer team. So All right, that's, well, that's when you know I you're changed. serious about prayer. All right, good. All right, I like that. And uh, I think I've become a more grateful person. I feel, I certainly feel, I wake up every morning saying, oh, thank you, God, for this gift of this day. And I love, I've loved every season, the fall leaves. Mm -hmm. I loved every snowflake. I love every flower, my family. And I try to express the love and thanks I feel. I hope I express it you to you and you Betsy <laughs> and, uh, and especially your dad who's yeah. been my caregiver mm -hmm. to express that gratitude. Mm -hmm. One thing I remember from those early days, and I, I'm honestly not quite sure it qualifies as a change because you were always pretty good at it, but boy, you got real about it. Like, I mean, day one was you began to use some variation of this phrase, we're just going to make every day a great day. Yeah, every day, a um, great day. We're going to make every day count. We're going to fill yeah. every day with love and joy. Yeah, I remember, I mean, there was that one, I think it was a Thursday. We started the day. I was dropping you off for what we thought was a relatively routine MRI. And we ended the day in a hospital bed where you weren't even allowed to roll over on your own because they were so worried your back was going to just snap any minute. And even on that day, was they were starting, the doctors were starting to talk about timelines and short distance. I remember you saying, well, I know what we're going to do. We're going to make every day a great day. And um, that really reminds me of this one month to live thing, mm -hmm. you know, because if I only had one month to live, 31 days, 28 if it's February, you know, <laughs> um, boy, wouldn't you say let's make every one of those a great day. And like I say, I'm not sure that qualifies as a change uh, because honestly, I felt like you were good at that my whole life long, but um, you've been really good at it uh, these last six, seven months here. We've been through this. Um, okay, so the um, one of the verses we've been looking at as we've been talking about this is Psalm 90. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And so what God's word is teaching us there is that when we are in touch and honest about our mortality or when life forces us to be, as in your case, 
we actually get wisdom from that. Like we learn important truths about the world from that. So that must mean you're wise now, which is awesome. We've all been waiting for that to happen. Um, so what would you say, what's the one big thing that you kind of, the one big piece of spiritual wisdom that you feel like you've learned from, from this experience that you didn't want, you didn't ask for, you're not, you're not saying you're glad it happened, but it's here. What's the big thing that you would say you might've learned from this? Well, maybe the biggest thing is kind of a painful thing. Um, I'm not in control. I'm not even in control of my own body. Now, I can control some things, and I really did. I tried to uh, eat in a healthy way, exercise, take care of myself. But really, I had no control over what was going on inside my body. And I certainly can't control the future so what can I do? I think I just have to trust God because I know God is in control. God knows the future. And I also know that God is good, that God is love, that God cares. I think of that verse, cast all your cares on him for he careth for you. Yeah. So it's a good thing that God's in control. And uh, the book of James reminds us you don't even know what tomorrow will bring. You are a mist. Yeah. Uh, that might be painful in a way, but it's a, it's a beautiful thing because God, God is in control and I can trust God for the future. Yeah, at first the recognition that I'm not in control is sort of diminishing, right? Well, I'm weaker than I thought I was. But then if God is in control, then wait, Maybe I'm stronger than I thought I was. You know, if, I, if I'm dependent on my own strength, well, that's not as much as I thought it was. I'm weaker than I thought I was. But if I'm depending on God's strength, that's much bigger than I thought it was. And I do think that is a feature of the one month to live mindset. Because if you got to the point where you knew you had one month to live, well, you know you're not in control. Because if I was in control, I'd have a lot more than one month to live. I mean, so the very fact that I only have one month to live means I've lost control. And that gives you an opportunity to say, well, what if I lived like God was in control? Um, and boy, you do a lot of things. Although I do think one thing you'd do is what I saw you do so well is you'd make every day a great day. Um, yeah. Well, hey, happy Mother's Day. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much uh, for sitting down with me. I love you so much. And thank you for sharing what you've learned. I do think you have a heart of wisdom, and I hope that we all can learn uh, from that and, and from God's word as uh, maybe we all trust God a little more, like we would if we had one month to live. Happy Mother's Day, friends. Uh, yeah, she's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I got a great mom. I got a great mom, no doubt about it. Uh, she's worshiping with us today down in the mass service. Hi, mom. Glad you're being, you're here with us, and thanks, uh, thanks for helping me out here. Um, Feliz dia las madres. Happy Mother's Day. I am so glad you're here. 
celebrating your Mother's Day with us as we continue this important kind of experiment in God's Spirit working on our lives that we're calling One Month to Live. I hope you are all in with this, okay? Uh, Maybe over the last couple weeks you've picked up one of these booklets. If not, grab one today. They should be, you shouldn't be able to get out of the building without passing by a stack of these booklets. We want you to have one. Uh, It's got daily devotions in it. It's got group study guides. So if you want to jump in with three or four friends and do the study together, this booklet makes that easy. I had somebody on Wednesday say to me, Ethan, did you know there's like daily scripture readings and daily devotions in this booklet? And I was like, yeah, I know. I helped write them. Yes, of course I know that. Like, uh, the question is, did you know that? Uh, but he was like, they're awesome. It's been so great. I'm doing it every day. I was like, yeah, that's how daily devotions work. So, but anyways, but he was really excited about it. So if you haven't done that, maybe you want to do that. If you're not in a group yet, get in a group. You got to do this with some other people if you want the full impact of what God wants to do. Um, you can stop by the connection kiosk, ask about getting into a group, or just show up on Wednesday nights. I'm here on Wednesday nights. A bunch of us are. We got tons of groups going on on Wednesday. Wednesday nights, uh, kind of in the other end of the building over there, just show up, be in a group there. Because there are some powerful lessons that God wants to teach you through this series and through this just simple question, this simple thought experiment, what would you do if you found out you had one month to live? How would you live differently? What changes would you make? And are any of those changes, changes you just might as well make today? And some of the lessons are fun, right? Make every day a great day. That's a great lesson. And it's exactly what you do, right? I mean, if you only had 31 left, you'd be like, okay, I'm going to make every one as good as it can be, right? Some of the lessons, though, are hard. You heard my mom say her biggest spiritual lesson was the recognition that she was not in control. That's a hard lesson. But if you had one month to live, you'd learn it, right? If you got one month to live, you must not be in control because if you were in control, you wouldn't have one month to live. And, And we aren't in control. We're not in control of the length of our lives. We're not in control of the health of our bodies. We're not in control of the stock market as it moves up and down. We're not in control of the circumstances of history in which we live. We aren't in control in the circumstances of our relationships that we're trying to build. We're not in control of the choices of others that have affected us since we were little bitty babies all the way to the present day so much that we aren't in control of. Now, of course, we put off learning this lesson for as long as possible, right? I mean, this is what we do. We all just do everything we can to put off learning the truth that we're not in control. We plan like we're in control. We budget like we're in control. We make promises like we're in control. We might even boast about our accomplishments like we were in control of them. Or we get spiritual pride in our self-righteousness like we We're in control of that. We put off this lesson as long as possible, but eventually everybody learns it. 
You come to the limits of your power. Your body ages. Your plans don't work out. Your treasure wasn't quite as reliable as you thought it was. And when we realize this, when we have the I'm not in control realization, we don't always react super well, right? Sometimes we panic. Sometimes we grow timid and scared. Sometimes we lose our passion and boldness for life. If we're not in control, where's the energy to go act and do? Sometimes we go reckless and self-destructive. If I'm not in control, I might as well just waste it all and risk it all. A lot of times what we call a midlife crisis is really just motivated by that recognition that we're not in control. Uh, We can't plan as well as we thought we could plan. We can't produce as well as we thought we could produce. We can't manage our world as well as we thought we could. And the reason we react poorly when we learn we're not in control is because we have only learned half the truth that God wants to teach us. We don't have control. You are not in control is only half the truth that God wants to teach you. The whole truth is this. You are not in control, but God is. That's the whole truth. You'd react differently to that truth, wouldn't you? Half the truth makes us timid or reckless or panicked. But the whole truth, the whole truth that you are not in control, but God is this truth that God desperately wants you to learn, it will change the way you live. This truth will make you bold. This truth truth will make you brave. This truth will make you risk things you never thought you would risk because you are not in control, but God is. And we see in God's word that God will go to great lengths to teach God's people this truth. God does crazy things to make sure God's people know that they are not in control, but God is. I think of the story of Gideon in Judges chapter 6 and 7. Uh, Gideon was this uh, young leader of God's people during the, uh, the period of the tribes before God had really founded them as a nation. It was a chaotic period. They were constantly under threat from their enemies. And Gideon um, was called by God to lead when uh, the people were under threat from a, region, a neighboring Um, kingdom called the Midianites. And the Midianites had been attacking and terrorizing God's people uh, for about half a generation at this point. Gideon uh, knew the first half of the lesson. He knew he was not in control. He was the weakest son of a weakest son. He had very little money, very little power, very little influence in his tribe, and no influence in the nation. And yet God came to him and said, Gideon, I need you. He knew the first half of the lesson. He knew he wasn't in control, but he didn't know the whole truth. And so he was stuck in his fear and his timidity. But he sort of took a risk and he said, okay, God, I'll obey you. And God says, I want you to raise up an army uh, to fight and drive the Midianites out of your land. And Gideon says, okay, I'll do it. And he's actually quite successful. 
By the end of chapter 6, Gideon has rounded up 32,000 soldiers, quite a huge army for that period of world history, uh, to drive the Midianites out of their land. And then this happens in Judges chapter 7. Early in the morning, Jerobal, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Harad. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah, and the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I mean, how can your army be too big? But that's what he says. You've got too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel will boast against me. My own strength has saved me. So announce to the army. Anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left and 10,000 remain. God says, Gideon, I want you to learn the whole truth. You are not in control, but I am. So let's send off two-thirds of the army. And then, if you keep reading, that's not enough for God. He wants the army even smaller, so he devises two more tests until the army of Gideon that was once 32,000 is now down to 300. And this army, now 99% reduced, is then armed by God with their weapons of war, naturally a trumpet and a broken pot. Because what else would 300 people take into a battle with the army of the Midianites? And then God says, attack. And they do. And they break their pots and blow their trumpets, and they win? I mean, go read it. Go read Judges 7. That's what happens. Why does God do it this way? They had an army of 32,000. There is a normal way to win wars. You march in with a bigger army and drive out the smaller army, and God says we're going to do it differently because I need you to learn the second half of the lesson. Gideon knew the first half his whole life. He never thought he was in control. He says, but I need you to know the second, Gideon. I need you to know that I am. God teaches this same powerful, double, full truth uh, to Peter, one of Jesus' earlier followers. Uh, Jesus has been teaching, and at the end of the day, he sends his disciples across a lake, and he says, y'all row across the lake. They were fishermen, so they all had boats, so this is good. They know what they're doing. He says, I'm going to stay here for a while. And then a storm comes up, and it traps them in the middle of the lake. Uh, The waves are too great for them to sail back and too great for them to sail forward, and so they're stuck in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And around that time, Jesus decides it's time for him to cross the lake, and he doesn't have a boat, so he just walks across the lake. Matthew 14, uh, he catches up to them in verse 25. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, you take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. And Peter realizes that the stakes have changed. Because they have lost control of their boat in the middle of the lake. But Jesus seems to be in control of everything as he strolls through the storm. And, and Peter, takes, Peter takes a gamble on the sovereignty of God, and he says, all right, if that's you, and this is the way you roll, then you tell me to come to you on the water. 
Because if you're that powerful, then you could do it through me too. And Jesus says, all right, come on. And Peter climbs out of the boat and walks on the water toward Jesus. Now, then he looks around (laughs) and he sees how out of control things seem and he sees the wind and he gets afraid and he starts to sink and he cries out, Lord, save me. And Jesus reaches out his hand and catches him. You of little faith, why did you doubt? And then they climb into the boat. And the wind stops. And those who are in the boat worship Jesus. Truly, you are the Son of God. If you learn half the truth, you grow timid, you grow reckless, because you aren't in control. You learn the whole truth, you grow bold. You grow brave because God is. I love every part of this story. I love when they see the power of Christ and they worship him. That's something we need to do more. I love that Peter, when he got scared and began to sink, Jesus didn't scold him. He just rescued him. I love knowing that that's how Jesus treats us. That's how Jesus treats you. If you've gotten scared and turned away from trusting Jesus and you cry out to Jesus to rescue, he's just going to rescue you. That's what he does. But my favorite part in the story is that moment where Peter gets it. He says, if I'm not in control, and I'm not, I'm a fisherman stuck in a storm on a lake, I've clearly lost control. And if he is in control, and he clearly is, because he's just strolling across the lake, I can't even sail across. Then maybe I could take a risk for God. Maybe I could be bold right now. And and, and I I don't even want to focus on those last few steps Peter doesn't take. I want to take on the first few he does. At least he got out of the boat, right? At least he went for it. At least he took an insane risk that only makes sense if God is in control. Gideon was terrified. Go read Judges 7. He was terrified to face the army of the Midianites with 300 men. But when God said go, he went because he wanted to see if God was truly in control. And we know Peter was afraid of the waves. But he wanted to know. That is the kind of boldness, the kind of spiritual power that comes when you learn the whole truth, that you are not in control, your time on this world is short, you couldn't make it longer if you tried, but God is in control. God is in control. So boldness in obedience And trust to God is the only thing that ever makes sense. See, you you got got to realize what Gideon does and what Peter does. If they thought they were in control, then what they did was insane, right? If Gideon was in control, then fight with the army you have. If Peter was in control, well, then stay in the boat you've got. But if they knew they weren't, and they knew God was, then the risks they took were the wisest thing they could do in that situation. 
half the truth. Half the truth. I'm not in control. It makes you timid or makes you reckless or self-destructive. But the whole truth, I'm not in control, but God is, makes us bold. And God does not desire a timid church. The introduction to the book of Revelation is, um, is, is seven letters to seven different churches. Uh, these churches were all real churches that existed in the, in the time when Revelation was written. They're historical real churches, but they also serve as examples for the church today. Uh, listen to this letter from Revelation chapter 3. To the angel of the church of Laodicea, write this. These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds. You are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one or the other, but because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, and don't need a thing, right? This is a statement about control. You say, I'm in control, I've got it covered, I've got it taken care of, I don't need the sovereignty of God, I'm sufficient, I'm content with the sovereignty of me. But you don't realize you're wretched, poor, pitiful, blind, and naked. My advice to you would be to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become truly rich, white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and a salve to put on your eyes so you can see. And then he says this, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. If today in God's word or any day you come and hear the preaching of God's word and you feel rebuked and you feel disciplined, that is the love of God for you. I'm not saying it feels like the love of God. I'm just saying it is the love of God. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I'll give the right to sit with me on the throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Anybody who has ears, let them hear. Right now, are you listening? If you are trying to live by your power and your control, you have a rude awakening coming because everybody learns the lesson eventually. You're not in control. And that's half the truth. And that half a truth will make you timid or reckless or self-destructive. But the whole truth is, you're not in control, but God is. And if that whole truth is true, you're not in control, but God is true, then that means that the selfish risks that we take in life, risks we take for our benefit and our pleasure and our joy and our power and our comfort, well, those are about the most foolish things a person could ever do. But the godly risks we take, risks of love and generosity and patience and forgiveness and mercy, well, you couldn't do anything wiser than that. 
Because to risk it all on the one who is in control is literally no risk at all. And when you know the whole truth, you will be bold for the things and purposes of God. And if you've forgotten the whole truth, if maybe you're living in the delusion that you're in control, or you're living in the misery knowing you're not in control but having forgotten that God is, my, my, my advice to you actually would be to try some work of bold faithfulness and obedience to God. Give God a chance to be faithful in your life. Peter says, if it's you, ask me to walk to you. I mean, Peter knew how to swim, but he didn't want to swim. He wanted Jesus to prove he was in control. Gideon knew how to fight. He had an army of 32,000, but he didn't want to fight under his own power. If they were dependent on their own power, they would just be sitting ducks for the next neighbor that gathered an army and swept into the lands and conquered them again. He wanted to know that God was in control. Bold bravery for the purposes of God not only is a response to the, to the truth that God is in control, it also helps you learn that God is in control. And I think if you had one month to live, you'd learn this lesson in a hurry. That's what I think. Because I think if you had one month to live, you would learn this lesson fast. Because if you knew you were running out of time, you would want to be brave for the things of God. Take a risk on the, on the work of God in your life. And you'd be timid, wouldn't you, for the plans of your flesh and the desires of your heart and the control you sought. Because with one month to live, you'd know you weren't as in control as you thought you were. But for the work of God, if you were running out of time that quickly, for the work and purposes and love and mercy of God, man, you'd find bravery you never knew you had. And God does have work for you to do. Make no mistake. God's word teaches us. I love this verse, Ephesians 2.10. We are God's handiwork. We're God's craftsmanship. God made us, created us in Christ Jesus to do good work, which God prepared in advance for you to do. God has good work for you to do. And I think if you had one month to live, you'd be bold to do it. Because what do you got to lose? You know you're not in control. Go find out if God is. Do something that relies on God's strength, something that depends on God's mercy, something that is based in God's sovereignty. Maybe, maybe my invitation to you would just, if you could, if you had one month to live, develop a new rhythm where you were timid in the things that you try to control and bold about what rests on the sovereignty of God. What if, what if we were, just for a month, decided to be timid in our attempts to judge others, but bold in our commitment to forgive all those who sinned against us? What if we were timid in our condemnation of the mistakes other people make, but brave in our confession 
one to another of the sins that damage our own souls? What if we were timid in our investments in wealth and brave in our generosity, right? I mean, that's what you'd do if you had one month to live, right? You'd move all your stocks into bonds so they were unaffected by the volatility of the market or something like that. Ask your financial advisor, I'm not a licensed CPA, et cetera, et cetera. This is not construed as legal financial advice, whatever you're supposed to say, all the disclaimers for the internet. But I think that's what you'd do. You'd be timid with your investments. But if you had one month to live, you would be bold in your generosity, right? You're not going to let your kids spend it for crying out loud. Give it away. Do something amazing. See if God could really turn generosity into mercy and love and blessing. Just dare God to do what God promises, right? Oh, you'd be timid in your hatred, wouldn't you? If you just had one month to live, you'd be timid in your hatred. But I, I think you'd be bold in your love and acceptance and mercy and second chances. Timid in anger, wouldn't you? Timid with your anger. Maybe your anger isn't doing you as much good as you think it is. But I think you'd be bold in peace, wouldn't you? You'd be bold in peace. So that's what we're doing this month. We're trying to live the month of May like we got one month left. So where do you need to be bold? Because the whole truth is the whole truth. You are not in control. And pretending like you are is not doing you any good. Half a truth doesn't get you much better. It makes you timid or reckless or self-destructive. But the whole truth, you are not in control, but God is. Well, that will make you brave again. That can make you bold, bold for mercy, bold to share Jesus, bold to confess your sin, bold to forgive, bold to obey. Maybe today, it's a great act of boldness. Maybe you need, some of you need to make this act of boldness today to say, I am done trusting my life to my own strength. I'm not as in control as I thought I was. I'm going to trust Jesus with my life. So when someday some doctor tells me I've got a few months to live, I'll say, I knew it was coming. I'm still trusting Jesus just like I always have. Maybe you need to make that decision today. Some of you do. You've been putting that off. Well, let's be bold. If you had one month to live, you'd get it done, wouldn't you? You'd say, that's it. I'm in with Jesus. If I had one month to live, you know you would. So just do it today. Maybe today's the day you say, I'm in with this church. I need a place that's going to challenge me where I'm confronted with God's word, where the love of God that rebukes and disciplines is a regular part of my life. I'm, I'm in. Join the church today. Maybe you need to love somebody or forgive somebody or stop depending on your own strength. You know, hear the letter that I was seeing. Be a little less lukewarm, a little less brave with your mercy. If you had one month to live, well, then you'd know you are not in control. So be timid with all those things that depend on your strength, your power, to satisfy your flesh. Be timid with those things. But if you had one month to live, you would put your hope in this truth that God is in control. So with all that God calls you to, you be brave. You be bold. And the sovereignty of God will see you through. Let me pray for you. Gracious God, this is the life we want, not just when the day comes that we do have one month to live, but every day of our lives.
We want to live with a boldness that only makes sense if you are sovereign. Break us free of the lie that some of us still live with here today. Some are living with the lie that they are in control. Just whether it's my mom's story or just their own reality of your word, confront them with that. And then teach them half the truth. We are not in control. And then go right past that to the whole truth that you, God, are. And so it makes sense to put our trust and hope in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.